This is Historically Thinking's Commonplace Book for the week of October 7th, 2018, a week of great engineering achievements, epic confrontations, and acts of terrorism. Going progressively backwards in time, on October 11th, 1968, Apollo 7 launched from Cape Canaveral on the first Apollo flight test in low Earth orbit. Its launch created a detectable earthquake of 4.6 on the Richter scale as a 30-story tall building weighing as much as 50 Boeing 747s was placed into orbit. And on October 9th, 1936, Hoover Dam started to produce electricity. October 8th, 1871 saw a disaster that led to a major engineering achievement, for on that day the Great Chicago Fire began in southwest Chicago. Dry weather and abundance of wooden buildings, streets, and sidewalks always had made Chicago vulnerable to fire. The city averaged two fires per day in 1870. There were 20 fires throughout Chicago the week before the Great Fire of 1871. Fanned by strong southwesterly winds blowing off the prairie, the flames raged for more than 24 hours, eventually leveling three and a half square miles of the city approximately one-third of 1871 Chicago. 17,450 buildings, give or take, were burnt, 100,000 people were homeless, and about $3 billion in $2,007 was damaged. The result of this urban clearance was creativity, frenetic building, and the first high-rises, the beginning of the age of the skyscraper. Now for the confrontations. On October 7th, 1571, the Battle of Lepanto was fought between the Navy of the Ottoman Empire and the navies of the Holy League, which was the united forces of every Christian power in the Mediterranean under the command of Don Juan of Austria, funded by Spanish King Philip II, and most of the ships provided by the Republic of Venice. While the battle is often cited as a great turning point in history, it was really nothing of the sort. The Ottomans did suffer their first defeat since the previous century at sea, but they quickly rebuilt their fleet over the next year and resumed their expansion along the North African coast. It was really the beginning of decades of growing Spanish power in the western Mediterranean which pushed back the Ottomans and eventually turned their attentions from the sea to land campaigns against the Kingdom of Poland and the Holy Roman Empire in Austria. And on October 7th, 2001, the war in Afghanistan began, though in fact CIA teams had actually been on the ground since at least September 27th, 2001. They had been joined by U.S. and British Special Forces, who began to work with a coalition known as the Northern Alliance, providing them with weapons and advice. But it was on October 7th that the U.S.-U.K. bombing campaign began, and thus beginning the public phase of a previous covert war. October 12th is the anniversary of Christopher Columbus's arrival in the Western Hemisphere, but is also the anniversary of two notable acts of terrorism. On October 12th, 1984, the provisional Irish Republican Army, and it's probably its most audacious attack, set off a bomb at the Grand Hotel in Brighton during a Conservative Party conference. Its intended target was Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher and her cabinet staying on the top floors of the Grand. The bomb was set in the floor of the bathroom above Thatcher's suite just about a month before the actual bombing using the timer of a VCR. She was unharmed, but five people were killed 
and 31 injured. And on October 12, 2000, the USS Cole was attacked by two suicide bombers in a small boat while the coal was being refueled in Aden Harbor in Yemen. 17 sailors and 39 others were injured, killed, and 39 others were injured in the blast, which ripped a 40 by 60 hole in the side of the guided missile destroyer. The attack was planned and engineered and conducted by Al-Qaeda, and it was actually the terrorist network's second attempt at bombing a U.S. Navy ship in Aden's Harbor. In the first attempt against the USS The Sullivans, the boat had sunk under the weight of its explosives. For deaths this week, on October 9, 1967, Che Guevara, Cuban revolutionary, featured on so many t-shirts, was executed by the Bolivian army after an unsuccessful and quixotic and, in fact, miserable campaign in the Bolivian jungle. And 37 years later, on the same day in 2004, Jacques Derrida, French literary critic and philosopher, died. October 11, 1301, Boniface VIII, the Pope, died. He was one of the most authoritative and authoritarian popes, taking the place of Celestine, who both malicious gossip and informed rumor said that Boniface had forced to abdicate the papal tiara to his better head. When Boniface became pope, he quickly asserted his power not only over the church, but over all other earthly kings. Boniface must have been one egomaniac. One authority, which admittedly is difficult to back up, asserts there are more busts extant of Boniface VIII than any other pope by a wide margin, all manufactured during his relatively short pontificate. In 1300, Boniface inaugurated the first ever Jubilee, a Christendom-wide pilgrimage to Rome, it is not an accident that Boniface sets the Divine Comedy over the Easter weekend of 1300 and that he consequently also puts Boniface in hell in the ring of those who have sold their God-given office for money. Here is the Florentine historian Giovanni Bellani, a man who did not only record events but make an argument about them, making him one of the first modern historians, speaking of the capture, release, and subsequent death of Boniface VIII. The French king, Philip IV, had grown tired of Boniface's threats, insults, and attempts to assert his sovereignty over that of Philip's. And so Philip, as he often did, took charge and hired a bunch of mercenaries in Italy, of which there were always an abundance, to do something about Boniface. Villani describes it thus, And when Sciara and others, his enemies, came to him, to Boniface, they mocked at him with vile words and arrested him and his household, which had remained with him. And among the others, Messiah William of Nogalais scorned him and threatened him, saying that he would take him bound to Lyon on the Rhone, and there in a general council would cause him to be deposed and condemned. In this pain, shame, and torment, the great Pope Boniface lived prisoner among his enemies for three days. But just as Christ rose on the third day, so it pleased him that Pope Boniface should be set free. For without entreaty or other effort, save the divine aid, the people of Agnana, beholding their error and issuing from their blind ingratitude, suddenly rose in arms, crying, Long live the Pope and his household, and death to the traitors! And running through the city, they drove out Sierra de la Colonia and his followers, with loss to them of prisoners and slain, and freed the Pope and his household. 
But Pope Boniface, seeing himself free and his enemies driven away, did not in any way, since as the pain of his adversity had entered into his heart and clotted there, he departed straightway from the Nyanya with his court and came to Rome to St. Peter's to hold a council, proposing to take the heaviest vengeance for his injury and that of the Holy Church against king, the King of France and whosoever had offended him. But as it pleased God, the grief which had hardened in the heart of Pope Boniface, by reason of the injury which he had received, produced in him, after he was come to Rome, a strange malady, so that he gnawed at himself as if he were mad, and in this state he passed from this life. That's from the Chronicle of Giovanni Villani of Florence, and I'm Al Zambone. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Historically Thinking's weekly newsletter for a Friday roundup of links and ideas mostly related to history and to higher education. Until next time, right in the corner where you are.